What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we have a special one. We are joined by Ariana Simpson, who is a GP and Jason Horowitz. We have the two founders of Bastion, which is Riaz and Nas. Um, they also used to be at A16Z as the CSO and CTO. So guys, I'm glad to have the game back together. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. For having Thank us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, there's three main reasons we wanted to get this group together. One is that you're extremely smart people in the space and have unique perspectives. Two is A16Z just led the $25 million round with Bastion. But the reason why that's important to us is because Bastion's thesis is something that really aligns with Lightspeed, what we talked about over here. So I think a great place to start would just be, what is the Bastion thesis and like what is the problem that you're looking to solve? For sure. Definitely excited to jump in and thanks for having us. But yeah, so Bastion really... When we started Bastion, even before Bastion, we recognized that there were, we bucketed into three core problems that we knew we had the unique expertise to really solve and to bring to Web3. And so we have three pillars of Bastion and three problems that we're looking to solve. So the first problem is that onboarding to Web3 today feels clunky and often unsafe and obviously hard to get onto Web3. It doesn't help for going forward. Second, after onboarding, Web3 experiences are known for having too much friction, whether it's clicking a bunch of approvals or whatever it is uh, for the user experience, but then also for the costs, right? Gas can be tricky to actually scale, like understand and forecast to scale. And it's hard for co- like businesses to understand and forecast how much will be spent there. And then finally, businesses are flying blind today in Web3 and that they don't understand what's actually happening on their platform. Uh, They're missing the data, they're missing the analytics. And even in Web2, actually, we're seeing the same problem with uh, third-party cookies going away from major OSs and browsers in 2024. And these customer insights are just so valuable to building the best products. And businesses either don't have them or are going to lose them. And so at Bastion, we want to be the platform that not only onboards you, builds the best user journey, but then builds the best way for you to understand what's actually happening on the platform. So those are the three problems we're trying to solve. And we have on the platform three ways or three solutions and our pillars that we think about to solve each one. So the first one, the onboarding of to Web3 feeling clunky and unsafe, is we've built a custodial wallet infrastructure that works seamlessly with any of our customers' authentication methods and our Our rallying cry is that the best onboarding is no onboarding at all. It should just be that you log in to whatever experience you have, and there happens to be a Bastion wallet behind the the scenes. And it just works along with account recovery and other other flows. We can talk about that in in a bit. Second problem around Web3 experiences being high friction and cost of gas not being scalable is we've developed a smart transaction routing system. And essentially, the system routes anywhere from 70 to 90% plus of all interactions to be off-chain. We really believe that not everything has to be on-chain. Uh, there's a place and a time for things being on-chain and that like where there are amazing benefits. But we do want to ensure that for our, our businesses and our customers that where it makes sense, we're still going to be off-chain and save them both user experience time and then cost on gas and make blockchain really the settlement layer behind the scenes. And then the third problem about data and businesses flying blind is we've developed our own data analytics and insights platform. And so we think beyond just wallets, uh, we think really that there's invaluable data both on-chain and off-chain about how assets are used or are interacted with, and that giving that data back to our customers will help them build the best experiences and the best products in in Web3. And so we think about Bastion really as this full platform with those three pillars to start. And 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 yeah, and going forward, obviously, looking to really serve businesses and there may be more. Yeah, I, I think it'd be great to dive into a few of those. But maybe first, Ariana, what, what really resonated you about Bastion? Because you've been in the space for a long time investing at A16Z. You raised a $4.5 billion fund just in 2022. And I think over like $7 billion altogether. Um, and I think like one thing, like there's a lot of great products in crypto right now. But one thing we're missing is users. And it comes down to like, do we have the products that users actually want to use? And then is there too much friction involved? So I'm just curious, what was it that stood out to you uh, that made you want to, you know, help lead this investment? So in general, I think about two main things when looking at an investment. Um, Number one, the market. So is this a real problem? Is it a fragmented and large market that is desperately in need of a solution? And I think as we've been touching on, there's certainly 
uh, a very strong need for better user experiences, touching anything online, tokens, NFTs. Um, it's just not easy. Um, and so obviously we, we view that as a very large um, unsolved problem, number one. And then number two is, is the team. And um, honestly, I wish it were always this easy. We had the chance to work with Nas and Riaz super, super closely because they were literally on our team. Um, and, you know, we, we referred to them as the dynamic duo when we were trying to recruit them to the firm. So um, we've, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten the chance to work really closely with Nas and Riaz and think super highly of them. So um, when you have that sort of combination, large fragmented market, big unsolved problem meets team with deep domain expertise, highly competent and very, very motivated, um, you know, that's that's a pretty obvious yes from me. Um, and so, you know, I think Nas and Riaz's backgrounds, which maybe we'll get into a little bit, are exactly what's needed to really be able to tackle this problem because it brings together a number of a very difficult kind of subject areas. And so having um, to start from scratch would be nearly impossible. And so so having um, the fact that they've worked together for, what is it, guys, seven years, something like that. Um, is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, r- running up, I think, at this point. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. A- around eight. They've, they've worked together for, for many, many years. They have a great team dynamic. Um, they've spent time in the security and infrastructure and crypto category. So again, really kind of marrying all of these areas that are very important to build what they want to build. Um, so I think those were those were several of the things that made this a very clear yes from our side. Yeah, that makes sense. Nas, I, I'd love to hear uh, more just your thoughts on this. I, I was going through your Twitters. Like one of the things I do before an interview is I like sleuth through everybody's Twitter and you definitely have the hottest take out of everybody on there. But I'm curious, like, do you think the uh, the first number of products that came out of crypto, do they over-focus on decentralization? I know this is a sensitive topic, but I enjoyed one of your tweets where you, you mentioned that Apple, for example, didn't start focusing on privacy until after a few years, once they figured out the UX. I'm just curious, what is your general thesis on like what we should lean into? Because I think we were able to establish crypto as a space because you had those diehards and zealots that I, I really appreciate that leaned almost completely into decentralization um, without like you could cut off user experience. That didn't matter. It's all about decentralization. And obviously, there needs to be a middle ground where we can actually get new users because if no one's using the product, then it doesn't matter if it's decentralized. So yeah, I'd love to just hear your thesis on this. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think that obviously I have a very strong opinions on this. I think that decentralization in a lot of aspects is pretty close to security. Um, you know, just like security doesn't exist in a vacuum, it always comes at a cost of something else, you know, generally user experience. Decentralization is exactly the same. And so just like security, the war security being the one that everyone ups out of because like the, the, the user experience is just not there it's going to be the same thing for decentralization. And people are opting out of decentralization because the user experience that you get, you know, as part of more decentralized experiences doesn't compete today with Web2 experiences. And so that is kind of like part of the, the thesis that, you know, Riaz was covering, which is we're essentially trying to build a tools that will make decentralization invisible as part of the flow so that users don't necessarily need to understand what is using a blockchain, what isn't, right? The, 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 the optimal path is essentially people realizing two years down the road, like, wait, everything that I have is actually in the wallet and I can actually take it out of you know, the networks or the, the ecosystem, the Web2 ecosystems that I'm part of, right? And import them somewhere else. And I think that this is, this is definitely the biggest problem that we see today in the space, uh, both kind of like, the onboarding, but even more importantly, kind of like the ongoing user journey, right? Because even if you get a great activation, you're still going to have the churn if you're not competing with, you know, say a TikTok or Venmo, right? Because those are the the the, the companies and products that you're competing with whenever you build consumer experiences today, right? And and I think that this is very important to realize that we will only get there if we're pragmatic, if we're building pragmatic infrastructure, if we understand that there will be trade-offs and that decentralization is a spectrum, people will start somewhere, right? And the vast majority, like the billions of people will certainly not start where the vast majority of crypto Twitter is today, but they will certainly graduate at some point. And our goal is really enabling this user journey. Yeah, 
When on this podcast a lot, we talk about go-to-market strategies, and this is often for protocols. But I'm curious how you think about it. Like, who is Bastion's customer? Customer? Um, where are you trying to be in that like value chain? And by that, I think it's interesting to think of where customers will go to when they do eventually touch the blockchain. Like in crypto, will it be just through a wallet? Will it be like a permissionless front end? We just had Kane from Synthetics coming on, and he's working on an Infinex, which is going to be built on top of Synthetics itself. But he he talks about it as almost like a new aggregator where you could have Infinex, but it plugs into Synthetics, but it could also plug in, for example, something on Solana. It's really just about being able to capture that user attention demand. So I'm curious, who is Bastion's customer, and how do you guys think about um, the user touch points? Great question, and it's it's actually really interesting for us because I think for NASA myself from Facebook building out infrastructure there to even at Andreessen Horowitz on the crypto side, we got this question about how do we think about wallets? How do we get help on infrastructure over and over and over again? And became very clear that even today, like, you know, crypto and Web3 is still growing, but even today, like there are a number of amazing teams and companies trying to build in the space and just finding themselves stuck without a solution, whether they're piecemealing other solutions or just not happy with the current set of the market. And so it was very clear to us that we had to go out and build Bastion. And so these companies, we see a range of many industries. And we see this even, you know, before you started Bastion, even Nike and Starbucks, even with the crypto state of the market, companies are still building use cases outside of just speculation. And whether it's in gaming, whether it's in, in brands, entertainment, there's there it's really exciting for us. And I think definitely for just the entire space of what's happening. And so at Bastion, really, we are we are this platform where you can use our APIs, use our smart transaction routing system, use our data. We aren't opinionated on a specific, you know, chain or technology. We're really here to just enable the best user experiences. And so we're seeing across the board, gaming, media, entertainment, social media, even education actually is another one, uh, a number of amazing use cases in, in the space. Yeah, I think from our vantage point, um, you know, we obviously work with our portfolio very closely and even within our portfolio, which is a selection of some of the most crypto native companies in the world. um, It doesn't make sense for everybody to be reinventing the wheel and having to build all of this infrastructure on their own. Um, You know, we really want there to be a little bit of a separation uh, of of talents and skill sets. And so if you have teams that are really strong in the consumer realm and just like dedicated to building amazing experiences for users, they probably also should not be building like some of the lower level infrastructure components. Um, And so we've just been hearing for literally years, um, hey, who would you recommend for this kind of use case? Um, And so it's really exciting to now be like, ta-da, talk to Bastion. Um, (laughs) Whereas before, I think it was a bit bit harder to kind of know how to point them for some of these components. Um, And then I think obviously outside of our portfolio, if you look at kind of the Web2 world, um, as Riaz mentioned, there's a lot of brands that are building really cool um, NFT-based experiences or um, kind of loyalty applications that are related to, um, again, to NFTs or or digital ownership in various ways. Um, And they shouldn't be building these um, from scratch. It's just not their area of expertise. Um, And so you run the risk of having experiences that are both less compelling from a user experience perspective and also less secure. Um, so I think it's it's really great to have kind of the various layers of the stack getting fleshed out more fully so that you don't um, end up with people having to build things that are kind of outside their core competency more than is necessary. Yeah, we had Ryan Wyatt on the show, I think like two weeks ago, and he talked about a polygon, uh, the size of the team they had to have to work with these larger brands and institutions to bring people on. Um, it's such a large investment because it's brand new to these people. And I think just lowering down that friction, hopefully we see a lot of new products. Um, I'm curious, just one part of the, the the project that you're working on that I'd like to dive into is the transaction routing. So you talked about how you can route transactions, I think, on and off chain. Um, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about how that works. Like, does it look across different ecosystems? And it sounds a little bit like this old thesis that, who knows, maybe it'll come back. You'll have Coinbase, but Coinbase will be routing. It'll like not actually be a centralized exchange. It'll just be an interface. And then it routes transactions wherever it might get the best price. So I'm just curious how that works. Exactly. So that that was exactly our our thoughts. Essentially, 
the the thing that we need to start decoupling a bit more is the user's intent as part of a product, as part of an experience, and actually what is getting executed, right? Um, and the way we we thought about it is if there is a way to respect the and to fulfill essentially the user's intent while optimizing the set of actions that actually take place for this action to be uh, properly executed and to be represented to whoever needs to see it, then we should do that. And so we essentially went ahead with uh, building actually this, this type of system the first time at Facebook, because we understood that at Facebook scale, getting everything on a chain is never going to work, right? Even if you take like 10% of Instagram's daily integration, you kind of like spread them, you know, across equally across all the L1s, L2s out there, um, you know, the networks are not going to last long. And so our goal was building an infrastructure that can understand, if possible, what interaction can be routed off-chain, can be delayed sometimes, can actually be aggregated into several transactions that can be represented in a single transaction, whatever the case might be. And, and it's not really, as you mentioned, it's not really a, a new concept, right? Like if both you and I, Garrett, are uh, customers of Bank of America, of Coinbase, whatever the case might be, um, you know, if the sender and the recipient are part of the same platform, then we can actually execute that internally. But at some point, you know, if one of us wants to interact with a system that is outside of the boundaries of Bastion, we actually seamlessly route that through the chain and understand what is necessary from us uh, to post as state on chain um, to, to represent essentially those things. And, you know, I think that we've done that for a long time for financial use cases, kind of like namely transfers really of fungibles. But our goal is really to be a lot more general purpose than that and support very different interactions for NFTs and additional assets in the future that may carry kind of more complex state than just a balance, right? There might be kind of like locking mechanisms, there might be uh, expiration mechanisms and, and so on. And we really want to be able to represent those things as much as possible in our systems, leveraging the chain as a settlement layer uh, whenever possible. And the result has been really great because, you know, transparently we had some of our customers actually decided, you know, were in the process of deciding to shut down entire initiatives because of the uh, prohibitive costs of that they were forecasting for gas. And with essentially the, the smart transaction routing of, of Bastion, they realized that they could actually save 90% of the gas costs and actually make that a reality for, for themselves. So really it's this, uh, just like you mentioned, kind of like this concept of anything that is on platform, trying to push that, push that as much as possible off chain, but while always having the interoperability and the ability to go on chain for off platform interactions. Mm. That makes sense. Ariana, I'd really, I'd really love to hear. So like, and, and Bryce, you can say this as well. Like, what would the, be the pitch for someone that's a consumer in crypto? So let's just say they're either in the Solana ecosystem, Ethereum, et cetera, about like why to be excited about Bastion. The reason I say that is because like, if there's a new L2 that springs up and there's something that you can go like stake and get a high APY, like it gets everyone really excited. I'd say something that like kind of is behind the scenes, like Bastion to some extent, people are kind of like, eh, does this like, does this like, it doesn't matter to me, right? Like there's no APY here that's really exciting. But I think maybe like the pitch would be if we don't have these things, like we'll never get to that next step of adoption. Um, because this, what I, as how I hear it, right? Bastion's not only for new products that are building in crypto to make like their lives easier, but it's also for like these institutions who are not crypto native at all. Is that right? And, and like to me, without those two things, like there will never be adoption. So uh, unless we just want to be in this little loop forever, like this is probably the way out. Well, I think. You know, in some cases, Bastion is going to, as you said, kind of be a little bit more behind the scenes. They're not necessarily the kind of front and center brand that consumers are uh, interacting with, but consumers will still be aware of um, the difference in usability that they experience when they're uh, interacting with someone that is using Bastion in the background versus not. Um, and so I think that's really what we're looking for. It's, I think Bastion and you guys jump in, this is, this is your company, but my vision for it is that, you know, if, if consumers are just like, wow, that was super easy 
And they don't even necessarily know that it was Bastion, but they were able to collect their, you know, I don't know, Nike NFT or whatever um, they're doing, that will have been a great success. Because what we're really trying to do is onboard users in a way that's seamless, smooth, and secure, and allow them to interact both on-chain and off-chain, um, again, easily and, and without friction. So that's sort of how I think about it. Um, but you know, you're, you're lucky, Garrett, to have the two resident experts here. So I'll let them jump in now. I think, Ariana, you covered it great. It, it really ties back to the best onboarding is no onboarding at all and making it making enabling web3 experiences that feel like web2 like we really want to make sure that these products these next wave of products are are amazing to work with and like you may not know that you have an address you may not know they have a wallet with bastion and that's totally fine because if that ensures that you have the best experience and you're able you're not just like onboarding but then staying with the platform and having a full user journey that'll be a great success for for web3 in general but of course for bastion selfishly as well and so really that's how we view the space beyond just speculation and you know financial like metrics really there's this whole swath of use cases in web3 that where there's there's more really whether it's loyalty programs whether it's subscriptions and there's a lot to unlock and we want to be there to help unlock that yeah that's I think that's really exciting for the whole space. I know I was I was talking with Mert, my co-host for the day, who's who's missing. But uh we were saying like one of the best things that got me onto Venmo, for example, was that I never actually had to onboard myself. I mean, I did have the app, but I only had it because other people were gonna be like, Hey, can I pay you with Venmo? And I actually never I never hooked up my bank account for like the first six months because I just started receiving payments for random things. And then eventually I was like, This is a pretty useful app. Maybe I should start paying other people with it. And then you actually connect your bank account and so forth. And I I see crypto probably going down a really similar route. So I'm excited to see see what new products this can help enable. Obviously, we have like infrastructure at the same time being built out for scalability. We have L2s, we have Solana, we have other high throughput ecosystems. And it feels like on the infrastructure side, a lot of things are, are there. They're in place that weren't there probably in 2018, 19, even 2021. Like I think the first rollups, you know, weren't really live and they're still on training wheels. So I'm curious, what is something either companies that you talk to um, that get you excited at Bastion or what are what are sectors in the space that um, you're excited about maybe consumer products or products are being built um, at a high level, just like a view on the landscape? Um, I think that having seen the appetite for um, gaming, social, and other highly interactive. Um, I, I would say actually two buckets. The first one is actually this one with highly interactive uh, experiences that uh, you know product leaders actually want to build in in Web three. Um, and so far, they didn't really have the tools to do that. And I would say that these the second bucket is actually the whole array of companies that have very little touch points essentially with their customers it might be you know for example we're talking to luxury brands luxury brands tend to have very discrete touch points with their customers and their goal is actually increasing those touch points into the digital world right and they really see web3 as a way to increase the 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 not only the rate but the quality of those touch points and the increasing their reach and increasing the brand loyalty and really providing more empowerment for their customers on the brand. And I think that really enabling brands that probably worked kind of, you know, for the longest time outside of the digital world, didn't really know who their customers were, how to actually target them over time and, and build experiences for them that were tailored was a, a problem for a very long time. So I would say that these are probably like the two categories that I'm the most excited about. And really, um, you know, in some cases, scalability is a problem. In other cases, it's going to be just responsiveness, right? You, you you may be okay kind of like paying less gas, but you can't wait for an action to to take, you know, say four to 12 seconds to, to confirm. And so there's going to be a, a major, I, I think, paradigm shift uh, based on what we bring with Bastion to for these experienced builders. Nas, I've, I've heard you comment that you think that 
maybe I'm taking this a little out of context, but you've said that when you look at businesses that are in crypto and they say like, we're gaming, but we're a Web3 gaming platform or we're a Web3 game or, you know, we're, I don't know, a brand, but a Web3 brand that you don't think that they will, they are as likely to be as successful. It's more like you have a product or a company or a game and you are leveraging crypto in some way to make it a better product. Ariana, I'm curious, one, I'd love to get your comments NAS, on this afterwards, but Ariana, I'm curious how you think about that when in investing in companies, you look at the landscape, because in one way, like labeling yourself as crypto native or Web3 is a good way to latch on to the current audience that's in crypto. But I do agree with NAS that like if you want to actually build a, a giant company or game long term, you probably need to hide a lot of that functionality um, and not make it like the feature Instead, it should just, or it shouldn't be the primary feature. It should just be one function. So I'm curious how you think about it. Well, I think sometimes you see a new subcategory that's created by a company or a protocol uh, within the Web3 space. And that I think can be really interesting because it enables in most cases, if it's a good one, kind of a, a wholly new behavior that wasn't really possible before. So for example, if you take um, Axie Infinity, they were the first ones to create this play to earn genre. What was interesting there was the fact that the players were actually earning ownership in the network and the game by participating. So um, I think that is a, a really interesting concept. And so it is different in the sense that that wasn't possible before that. Uh, it's not something that you would see in, in Web2 games. Now, is that going to be sufficient in the long term? No, of course, it also needs to be a very fun game to play. And so eventually, the new I kind of think about it as the bar being reset. So eventually, um, you know, we're going to want to have ownership in the game and we're going to want to have the most fun game. And, you know, in the case of, of the Sky Mavis team, they're acutely aware of that and, and very much building that into their new games. Um, but I think in that case, we saw something that was a fundamental new paradigm shift in terms of, of how players participate in the games where they're creating the value. Um, so, you know, in, in my mind, we see, I don't see them as distinct categories. Like eventually Web3 games will be competing for mindshare with regular games Sometimes at the beginning of a, a new subcategory, you see a new discrete benefit that doesn't exist in the old version, and that can be a, a, an attraction for a time. Eventually, though, the categories kind of merge back together, and then you are competing with kind of the old guard for mindshare. Um, so what I look for generally is like, you know, something that has both. I mean, that's obviously the the golden ticket mm -hmm. if you can find it, which is what what is uniquely enabled by Web3 here? Not Web3 for the sake of Web3, but rather what tangible benefit do users have from this new model? Um, and I think, you know, we believe that in Web3 broadly, a lot of it is exactly what I mentioned for Axie, which is ownership, um, actually owning uh, whatever it might be, the the token or the NFT, uh, in a way that historically hasn't hasn't really been possible. And I think we've seen this disrupt art and music, and you know, it's it's obviously still in the early innings, but we're we're seeing it really start to um, change the relationship that creators can have with their users and pushing more of the value away from the platforms for example, social media platforms to the creators themselves. Um, and we think that's a really kind of powerful paradigm shift. Yeah, I love that. Rias, I'm curious, you were the CTO, leave at A16Z for a while there. Do you think that the infrastructure side is and crypto is built out enough and the, the real thing that we're missing is that focus on consumer products? I mean, like again, we had Ryan Wyatt on and he, he really felt that way. He thought we were going to have consolidation going on at the infrastructure layer and then you're going to see apps, which we need because you also need investment to switch the apps. It's not just like, hey, the infrastructure there. It's like also we need to get the funds behind it to actually put the money there. Um, yeah, I'm curious how you think about it. Do you think we're ready to actually build out these apps or is it Hopium? I'm biased. Uh, I think it's I think it's a little bit of both, but we've seen in cycles, right? Like we've seen like the 2013, 2015 cycle of exchanges, and then 2017, NASA and I both being at Anchorage with the institutional side and custody. We're seeing a ton more in this last cycle with other infrastructure. I think we've been building up the stack as we've been, and every time you've see, we've seen 
companies, you know, being like enabled to build on top of the stack. I think the stack is actually fairly built out now. And so we are seeing these higher level applications, which is super exciting, like, like games and like, you know, other experiences in, in media entertainment. So I think we're, it's at a point where now it's, it's much easier than it was a few years ago to go build a web three game, which is awesome. I think there's still a lot of amazing work being done and a lot of great teams and the the best and brightest in the space, whether it's like at the protocol layer and like improving L1s or building L2s, whether it's infrastructure companies building out, whether it's, you know, like, like a bastion or other companies thinking about key management infrastructure of how we work with nodes. But I do think we're at the place where, you know, you can always improve infrastructure. There's more to be built, but at the same time, we've built a bunch in the space and excited to build more in the space where we, we are seeing real-world use cases, like the fact that Nike and Starbucks are building in Web3 um, is incredible and I think wouldn't have been possible for, you know, the last cycle. And we're seeing more and more companies entering, entering the space that don't have that in, in-house in Web3 team or blockchain expertise. And so we're at this great turning point. There's more to be done, but at the same time, it's really exciting. Talking about key management, I'm curious, like, what you think the future of, like, wallet and key management will look like? I really think that the self-custody is... I mean, custody is about trust and trust is a spectrum, right? It's really not a, a binary thing. And I think that we're seeing, the one thing that we know for sure is that people hated passwords. They're not gonna like two phrases. That's where, that's kind of, that's the, the foundation. And on top of it, the part that is also pretty interesting to, to consider is that even in the case of self-custody, people still do rely on a third party, whether that's an Apple with the phone and the iCloud, whether that's Google, uh, you know, whether that's even for pass keys, kind of like the device is responsible for a lot of the, 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 you know, the management of the key that ends up kind of providing the identity. So it's very rarely kind of, uh, you know, a scenario where you're not trusting anyone, right? Everything kind of like lands somewhere on the spectrum. Our goal is certainly to help the customers and basically move towards you know trusting less and less other parties but again they need to start somewhere and we want to make sure that we're building essentially infrastructure that can onboard and retain essentially billions of people today not five years from now we feel like it's our duty essentially to help them get there you mentioned trust there i think crypto has probably lost some of that in the general landscape of you know, I guess the world after what happened with FTX and also just some rug pulls you see and you see that number quoted, like it's, I think it's 2022, it's like $3 billion, you know, stolen um, or around there. Curious, how do you think um, crypto can like rebuild that trust? Because like we interview a lot of founders and they had so many users a year, you know, two years ago and they talk about how their product really wasn't even ready for it. It's like, but the people didn't care. <laughs> and they're like, they didn't care that our product wasn't ready. And now it's like our product is actually in place where we can handle that volume. And it'll actually be an experience that people enjoy. But we have to like gain that trust back. Do you think that trust just comes slowly from like crypto native protocols building out? Do you think we have to have a big brand that joins the space? Like, what do you think is maybe the catalyst for that? Well, I think it's important to distinguish um, various parts of the crypto ecosystem. Um you know, the, the FTX situation really irritates me personally because that was just a case of outright fraud. It's, it's the Bernie Madoff uh, of, of our generation. And frankly, it has nothing to do with crypto. Crypto was just the, the way in which it happened, but it was just straight up theft. Um, and so that's very different than users losing money, you know, by sending it to the wrong blockchain or something like that, which is something that is is more specifically um, crypto native. So um, I think it's on builders to continue to kind of build great products that make things easier to use and make it more difficult for users to make mistakes and things like that. Um, and it's on kind of everyone in the ecosystem to kind of educate themselves about what's going on and be able to distinguish between bad actors who are committing fraud versus the limitations of an early technology. Yeah, I'll add into, I think 100% agree. And I think across the space, you see at the protocol layer, you see at like the infrastructure layer, you see at the app layer, just the maturity coming into the space and many great actors doing good work in terms of security, but also just controls and basic, you know, understanding of 
where there should be red tape versus not and be able to, you know, like in the FTX case, obviously, like being able to move funds around and give loans like that, that's not crypto specific. And like there's just basic controls in place and the space is maturing really well. And of course, on the regulatory side, we're seeing just increased uh, just maturity and, and great like just activity and, and progress. And you see companies like like Anchorage, I mean, obviously biased from being there, Coinbase, others in the space that have been acting in good faith and, you know, being a, a prime example kind of going forward, keeping funds safe, keeping the business in, in a good state. And we're seeing more and more of this. And certainly I think I think NASA and I are pretty optimistic about where things are going. And then obviously the other side of the coin is we're seeing more and more use cases from you know large companies, small companies that are coming to consumer, whether they expose Web3 directly to them or not. Um, and I think that will also just really emphasize where there is real value in the space and where there's going to be, you know, just added value. I, I definitely agree with that. I know like when I was onboarding into crypto or actually getting involved on chain, one of the hardest things is like, okay, when you send a transaction, first send like a dollar to make sure it goes to the right address and then you can resend it and then you'll feel, and you're still not comfortable because it disappears. Or like the first time I bridge to an L2, it's like, what is this bridge thing that looks so janky? And then your funds just disappear, I don't know, 20 minutes or whatever it is. And then it pops up and then it's still not in your MetaMask because you actually had to go in and add that token yourself. Um, so I can't imagine people who weren't just like, like chasing airdrops are found extremely interesting how they'd ever deal with that. I, I kind of want to take that and pivot a little bit. So both of you are at, you've been in crypto for a long time in different ways. Um, you're all at A16Z. Well, I'm curious how you think about the different landscape and to relate this back to security. Um, a lot of the things have to do with bridging today. So like I talked about bridging to one L2, um, there's some thoughts that there's going to be, you know, a thousand million, whatever it might be, app chains or L2s. One reason, like we talk about Solana here, I think one thing that's nice about it is simplicity, for example, is that you have like one L1 and everything is built on top of there and you don't have to worry about bridges and interoperability that can feel like something that some people talk as if it's here today. Um, others talk about it'll be here in a year and others are like, I have no idea how this interoperability is actually going to work. So I'm curious how you just think about um, maybe the landscape of these different infrastructure layers and how you think that might play out over the next few years. So to be transparent, I think that this is one of the uh, one of the, the things that we really want to focus on, just making sure if if you see um, blockchains as great rails, you should be focusing on the infrastructure that understands which one is the cheapest and the fastest at any given time, right? And the ability to jump from one to the next is gated by bridges and obviously kind of like interoperability, um, uh, centric infra infrastructure, you know, components. And to, to give you an anecdote, tra transparently, when we create wallets, for example, today on, on Bastion, um, we basically create the wallet across every EVM chain at the same time, because our view is that at some point, no one will care on which chain they're receiving the asset, whether it's a non-fungible, a fungible token. The rail will be as invisible as a Swift, ACA, chips, whatever, Fedwire, whatever the case might be. And the infrastructure layer, essentially, or the wallet, will be the one helping select the fastest and the cheapest one. And really, you know, hide and abstract away all the complexity of, you know, like three, generally three transactions associated to to bridging. Um, so that's that's something that collectively we really need to to focus on. The one thing that I would uh, urge generally people in in the space to to focus on is regardless of you know like trusted versus trustless bridge. Um, bridges are pieces of infrastructure that are designed to move in generally large amounts around. And the amount of, I would I would call it kind of like faulty logic that is required for a large scale event, you know, security event to happen is fairly small, right? You basically generally need only one hop as an attacker to get to, uh, to, to, to hack the bridge. And we've seen that times and times again, especially at Anderson Horowitz, working with some of the bridges that actually got um, got successfully attacked. And so I would really urge um, you know, people working on bridges to not only care about 
the logic that is executed sometimes on off chain or on chain, but about the entire um, the entire supply chain that gets the, the the software out, right? Like a lot of the the, the things that can uh, present weaknesses can be corporate security, it can be key management, it can be a lot of things that actually will govern the the bridge itself. And so that's just some, something that I really wanted to put out there because the vast majority of the hacks that we've seen, large-scale hacks in this space, have been around bridges. And so it's important for all of us to give a good name to crypto and make sure that bridges become safer as an infrastructure layer. Yeah, I'll add to quickly that bridges are really important for the space. I think also just putting security hat on as an attacker, bridges are a great target because you know how much money you can make if you go attack the the bridge because it's all public and in in the contract and so naturally they become a target for attackers which is not a surprise but at the same time i think you know the space has been really maturing and advancing security across as nas mentioned the corporate side the web2 side actually like the smart contract side and ultimately i think we're we're in, you know in improving place and getting getting really good about bridge security but certainly just by way of being this open like advertisement of here's much how much money I have my bridge, you do get more just interest from just from adversaries. Ariana, when you when you have teams come to A16Z and they talk about, I'm sure probably they've already maybe they're already building a product because um, I guess it depends on the the stage that they're at. Like a, you know C versus A versus B. Um, what is often the reasoning they use to launch on a certain ecosystem. So like one thing I might think, like Ethereum, you know it's going to be there. Like it has that Lindy effect, right? It's like I'm not going to build on this piece of software and then it's going to go away and, and get rugged. Um, the other one to me is like liquidity. Um, it's really nice to tap into Ethereum's liquidity. Um, but I am curious because now you have all these different L2s. You have the Ethereum L1. You have you had Solana. Now you have like Aptos and Sui. What is maybe the main reasoning um, that these developers are using to choose where they launch today? Well, I would say, you know, Ethereum has a number of draws, probably the most significant of which is just being the biggest and therefore having an existing community of developers, which means more libraries and more tools and just easier compatibility across the board, uh, more users already having Ethereum wallets, therefore not having to like kind of bring a new user into a new ecosystem in addition into your uh, application if you're kind of a consumer or app layer developer. Um, so I think Ethereum is is pretty straightforward in terms of kind of the, the advantages that it brings. Um, however, there are also very clear limitations. I think the biggest is probably cost. Um, and so we've seen kind of the beginning, but I think there's still a lot more to come of the kind of rise of the L2s, if you will. And so, um, you know, if you, if you look at Base, for example, which Coinbase recently launched, they went out and thought about, okay, what can we do to boost the ecosystem? What is gonna be the most significant contribution that we can make at this point in time? Um, and uh, for them, they realized that this problem of bringing transaction costs down to sub one cent is, one of the biggest and most important things that they can tackle. And so that's what they went and built. Um, you look at something like optimism, they're obviously uh, also, you know, very much attracting developers who want to stay in the Ethereum ecosystem, but want lower costs. So I think there is a, a really significant kind of movement in that direction. Um, at the same time, for certain other use cases, different and maybe more novel architectures can be very interesting. So I think that's what, um, you know, Missin Labs and Aptos and some of the other um, newer blockchains are doing is they're saying, okay, if we want to build large scale consumer applications that can, you know, mint a million NFTs in a very short amount of time at a very low cost, maybe we should not try to shoehorn Ethereum into being able to do that in kind of a janky way, but let's reimagine this with just a, a different architecture from the get-go. Um, I very much welcome all of these different attempts to bring down costs because at the end of the day, the cheaper we can get these transactions to be, the more the landscape of creative possibilities from developers opens up. 
And so the, the people who win the most are end users. It just means that there are more options, um, which I think at this stage, until we've kind of narrowed it down to exactly what is the best architecture and we've been able to solve the cost issue, um, kind of the, the more the merrier. Obviously, you want these things to be thoughtfully laid out and built in such a way that, um, you know, they can be secure and also high throughput and all of that. Uh, but I think it's, it's very much a good thing for users at this juncture. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see Base. They actually um, tweeted today, or they quote tweeted, there's like dating on chain. It's like a dating app they just released on Base. So that's pretty funny. Had me uh, laughing in the office today. Who knows what is next uh, to be developed in Web3 there. I think we'll, we'll close up here in a few minutes since we're coming at an hour. But I do want to hear, um, we often like to ask like, could be what is your most controversial take about crypto? I think maybe a better way to ask that question is like, what are maybe some assumptions that we've made in crypto that you think could be wrong? One I, I think might be wrong, for example, is that because of Bitcoin it has fixed supply, then you have all these L1s that came out and they're like, okay, well, we're going to limit ourselves to 350 million. And that's just something that they took from an original like default. I'm curious, like what, um, what is something in crypto that you look at today and you maybe see that same thing? And Nas, maybe we, we start with you. I feel like uh, because it's kind of like the the thesis of uh, you know that that you shared and on 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 Lightspeed and and Blockwars and and what we what we think is actually fairly aligned. I don't feel like it's that uh, it's that controversial anymore. I really do think that decentralization doesn't matter as much as user experience. I do think that over the long run, um, blockchains are amazing rails for existing that will connect essentially as highways existing Web2 ecosystems um, and really help uh, additional businesses and creators take part of these interactions, right? That are for now, like very much, you know, business one calls the API of business two that calls the API of business three and creators are basically left completely out of the loop. Smaller businesses are left completely out of the, the, the loop as well. And so I do think that there is going to be, um, there's going to be, a, a kind of like a, a much bigger focus on kind of like being religious on the user experience and and less religious on on decentralization um but still kind of like keeping that in mind and and trying to push it as much as possible over time to help people graduate towards more ownership i think for me it's similar vein but we've touched on it in various pieces with the gaming conversation and other pieces but similarly like the obsession to put everything on chain and have everything be in a wallet. You know, I think there's, there's a time and a place where it makes a ton of sense and there's value, but we should be measured and think about where it, where does it make sense? Where does it not make sense? And where does it make sense to integrate with existing tech stacks that people already work with? They're onboarded. It, they know and they love it. It's invisible and getting there. And I, I think, I think we're getting there in the space, I think, but often it's, we're putting X on chain and you're like, you may ask the question, like, why is that on chain? Like, what is it? Why? Why? Like, what's the value add? And, it, and like with games, it's like just putting it on chain isn't enough. It's really about the game being amazing and that this is a part of a value add to the game in addition. And so we're getting there, I think. But there certainly is a, a crowd that believes that everything should be on chain for whatever reason, whether it be decentralization or just for transparency, whatever it may be. And I think for me, it's there's a time and a place, and oftentimes it may not be the right place. This might be a bit niche, um, but I think for a while there was a lot of um, conversation around kind of privacy and the role that that was going to play in the crypto ecosystem. Um, I would say, actually, before I joined Andreessen, I was running my own fund, and most of my theses ended up being right, fortunately. Um, but one that was quite wrong was around privacy. Um, and I think what I've come to realize is that, um, honestly, at least at this juncture, users don't care about that as much as the initial universe of crypto users did. Um, it was kind of like a, a really, like, odd, and I include myself in that community um, <laughs> group of people in 2013 or whatever, who were very focused on kind of self-sovereignty and, and kind of all the early kind of crypto and, and Bitcoin elements. Um, and that included privacy at the time. But I think what we've seen is that as the space has expanded to go a bit more mainstream and include a broader base of users, um, there isn't necessarily that same focus on it. So what I think we're trending towards now is more sort of modular privacy, which can be uh, rather than sort of 
existing only on standalone chains with the express purpose of privacy primarily, um, you know, we're seeing ways of making other blockchains more private, but in a sort of selective can be switched on, can be switched off sort of way. Um, so again, kind of niche, but these are the things I think about. <laughs> no, I, I love that. It, it, there's this like diametrically opposed um, reasoning that people have in crypto. And it's like, crypto is great because it's fully transparent. And you can read everything on chain. And then you'll listen to someone else and they're like, crypto is great because you get to control and own your data. And it's like, do those two really add up or the exact opposites? And it, I know there's a lot of like, you know, interesting products in the space that are working where you can have both or, you know, depending on which ecosystem you're in. So I really like that one. Um, I should probably close it here, but I will regret it if I don't ask this one question. So I have to. <laughs> and Nas, this is really towards you because I know you worked on an NFT project, I think, before joining Bastion. And you said that that was one of the most stressful things that you've done. And you had almost, you didn't say these words, but it's like, I would never wish this on my worst enemy to launch an NFT. And then people in your community just have this expectation of value in the future. So I want to know what was so terrible about this NFT, not terrible, but what was this NFT experience that, that you had? Yeah, I think... Uh... Riaz always say, says it, uh, crypto works in, in dog years in general. And I feel like whatever, you know, whatever animal lives like faster than dogs, NFTs are that. And so I do think that the amount of expectations of, you, you know, kind of like the, the current NFT community is really unrealistic, right? If you have built real, you know, basically high quality experiences and products and infrastructure components, you know that it's going to take time to architect it, to implement it, to actually test it, to, to roll it out, right? And take the feedback and iterate. And I do think that, unfortunately, this kind of room for, uh, you know, learning and, and, and building and, and sometimes failing is not given essentially to a lot of people building in the NFT space. So I'm actually extremely excited about kind of the current market, you know, people just resetting their expectations, giving more time to, uh, you know, a lot of the, the NFT projects out there and some of them, you know, well-funded uh, will have to really tackle and, and build great, entirely new uh, and amazing immersive experiences. Um, so really just excited for an expectation reset, I would say. And obviously, uh, use cases outside of speculation. Please, <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, try to focus on on user experiences. And this this is come this is going to come together. Yeah, guys, okay, thanks so much for joining. I think this is a lot of fun. I'm extremely excited about Bastion. Like the reason why I'm excited, obviously, is just like the easier it is to onboard people, the more use cases we'll have, the more people in the ecosystem, and the more that this ecosystem can grow, and we'll get outside of just speculation. So um, thanks so much for joining. I'd love to, you know, I'm excited to see where you'll be in six months, and maybe we can get together again and, and you know, have another discussion. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, sweet. We'll see you next time.